Helping Children Smile Again After Loss and Change podcast. I'm Amanda Sederhelm and I'm your host. So my guest today on the podcast is Dennis McCarthy, who is, was originally trained as a dance therapist and, and also play therapist, um, based in upstate New York and director of Metamorphos Institute. He's a psychotherapist working with both children and adults, specializing in sand play in, and also in dream work. And... The reason I welcome Dennis to the podcast, it's nice to have you here, uh, to talk about what happens if you turn into a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's If You Turned Into a Monster is the title of your book, um, which is looking at transformation through play therapy, a, a body-centered approach to play therapy. And it's the title, I think, that is so interesting and challenging and captivating. Um, and it's certainly a concept I'm familiar with as a play therapist, but I know a lot of my listeners are not familiar with this idea of monster and the, and the idea of what it means to carry monstrous feelings. And you say in your book, and I'm just gonna quote because um, this is the, the quote that really nailed it for me. Um, you say, children come to therapy with monstrous feelings, monstrous grief, monstrous rage, monstrous longing, to name a few. These feelings are unacceptable, unfaceable and unmanageable to themselves, as well as to the world around them. The invitation to draw themselves as a monster is an immediate acknowledgement of these feelings as fact and an acceptance of their existence and legitimacy. That's it. Well, Is that that's it? it? That's well, that's not it. That's that's a that's an opening of the door for sure. Right. But, right. Right. Uh, monster um, really invites the child's own intensity to come into the space, which is often intolerable to both families and schools and children. You know, I've often thought that for most of us, our own aliveness is sometimes its own encumberment how to be able to handle and regulate our bigness, if that makes sense. So, so that we don't become afraid of it and turn it into anxiety and other things. So for the, a space filled with monster drawings, which is my play space, children come in and they feel incredibly relaxed. They never feel disturbed at all by all these monster images. They feel like somehow their language is being spoken there. And, and they get that, that when they leave, they leave that part of them behind to some extent. Yes, so the good parts of it with them, you know, and that gives them that sense of relief, doesn't it? That they've they've shared that right. with you. Um, even in that first session, just the capacity to express without words all these feelings roiling around inside of us and instincts and impulses shifts things dramatically. Right, I like this idea of bigness. Yeah, that the that children feel, and I think you're right, there's a lot that they're carrying with them that feels, um, as you say, un unfaceable 
Um, I think it's the same in different ways for adults, but I think for children, it is. Yeah, it's that sense of what can I possibly do with this? How can I possibly feel this way? And what do I do with it? And what do they do with those big those big feelings? Well, you know, with adults, the difference I think is adults often think those big feelings are on the based on the trajectory of their lives. But with a child, you know, even a three year old comes in who's very dysregulated, has loving parents, still has those monstrous feelings and impulses. There's no history to it at all, but they're still they're still struggling with you know standing upright, regulating their bodies. It's and all of that has a, an element of monstrousness to it as well. So from early on, we're battling it. And there you know there are, our first creative acts are usually monsters. We dream them at one and a half or two, and um, we. Our parents try to reassure us they don't exist. We don't believe them because we know they do exist. <laughs> right. Do you do you find in your work that the the acceptance of the monster is made easier if the if the parent or the carer of the child can also accept that that reality that this well, is something that is it exists. It's real. You know, this is how children feel. If they're open to it, like for because I always meet with parents first. They walk through this play space filled with monsters, so they get they're already warned. That, and they usually have been warned in advance that my work involves a lot of uh, wildness that's c- controlled by my understanding of the efficacy of it. So they're already been warned and I kind of help them help introduce themselves to parts of themselves that might be similar. So at least they're open to the possibility. And often parents come with when symptoms are very severe. So they're also open to the path. They'd rather have the symptoms ameliorated than uh, live with them. So they trust that maybe this crazy guy who's working with monsters and guillotines and all these things is doing something right. Right. Yeah. 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 They rarely question my approach, which I find very amazing. I'm often questioning it, but they rarely do. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. They So tell me, tell me about that then, because we were talking earlier about almost what I sometimes call the, the magic of what happens in the space in the play therapy space in the therapeutic space that is very difficult to explain to someone who isn't in that context right um and and why it works and how it works but we know it it does so can can you say a little bit about well first of all how you came to really use how did you find monsters how did you find well they actually found me actually before i started studying therapy i had a uh, a dream about a monster, which I'll share when I do the training, because it's a little more in depth, but it got me, uh, it shook me up and it woke me up. And I started um, kind of seeking part of myself that at that point I was calling the monster. Um, so when I started working with children, I made use of that because I discovered that they were also struggling with some version of that, but I had no idea why I was using it. It was purely intuitive. It made sense to me and it seemed to make sense to them. It became a language that from the them entering the space, we could speak to each other. And then I had other dreams into, in my years of my practice that had to do with monsters. It just, it, they affirmed and informed me what the monsters were about. It took a long time for me to understand why it was so effective. Right, because this is really your life's work, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, I mean... Part of it. I mean, it comes in different ways and, and I don't think everybody needs to work with monsters, but I think what the monsters represent need to be dealt with. I right. think the depths in us 
uh, full of all the riches and the demons that are there need to be negotiated, navigated, not necessarily through using monsters. I work with dragons a lot with kids because that they love them, but one doesn't have to work with dragons to access some of that same dragon energy. Right. So could you, could you also say that the demon is also a, yeah. Well, again, the demon is kind of a manifestation. It's something one must deal with in one's life. You know, we can't, we we don't have to, I should could say we can skate over that part of ourselves, but you know, the, the whole journey towards selfhood involves at some point being in the belly of the whale, so to speak, right? Being in that place right. of not knowing where we are, you know. I suppose what Jung called the shadow, this is the, the shadow work, really. And also he talked about the need to kind of go out to some water world at some point in which all your ideas about who you are kind of dissolve. I mean, children don't have to do that because they're they're already living in an, in an immediate state, you know. They don't have any false ideas about who they are right right they're, they're in those shadows waiting to enter but they're not there yet yeah ex- exactly um you know i, I think in, I, I talk in terms of when we look at grief and we look at loss you know um which we've been talking a lot about uh since entering this this pandemic um and yet loss and grief existed before that before we went into this pandemic since for minutes we walked on this earth right 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 exactly we're facing loss every single moment of the day in some small way in some big way and i think it's the same um i think it's too for me it feels too simplistic to go oh well now you know the monsters could the monster be the pandemic i mean i think in a way maybe we could look at that but those feelings that children have been struggling with well they they were there before just Absolutely. as they were there for, for anyone who's no know, knows what grief feels like yeah i did a little i did a little presentation here in this halfway through the pandemic along with some other therapists and i did ask some children to draw some some covid monsters for me and and they willingly obliged but that was not really coming from them that was coming from a request on my part they were interesting and, and, and creative but I, I prefer the ones that ar- arise from them simply because I've asked them what they would look like as a monster. Um, right, right. COVID monsters were interesting to adults looking at them, but I, mm. uh, I think all those, all those feelings that show up as monsters exist in us always, you know? Right, so we're sort of, we, we bo- we're born with this as a blueprint, right. as a, an archetype maybe. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we don't want to sort of give everything away in, in this in this chat. Uh, this is really just sort of an introduction to why this work is important. Why do you think now? Is it, is it more important now or is it just equally important? Is it different now to do this? The reason this? it's more important now, having done this 45 years, I really get to see that children really have changed. They're not the same animal they were 45 years ago. And some of that really has more to do, at least in the States, with, with the the lack of access to the outdoors. Like at some point in the mid eighties, late eighties, parents started becoming afraid of having their children be outside. Some of it was abductions, even though most of those were within the family, but so, and then once Lyme disease came around, so there, there had been, there's been a, with, and then even, and of course, video games, pulling kids in, there's been a withdrawal from getting your hands in the dirt. And so kids, kids really, sometimes for many kids I work with, the sandbox, and I use a deep sandbox, is their only access to something we could call dirt and earth. 
sand. They otherwise are never in in the earth. So they never have access of discharging and expressing themselves um, in that wonderful way that we can do in nature. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, those children who've been able to go outside during the pandemic have been able to um, to benefit from that, from doing that sort of play outside more than more than ever. Absolutely. Um, but those who aren't and can't, it's it's really, really tough. Yeah, schools around here, there's very little outdoor time. The playgrounds are all concrete. So there's no there's no access to earth. And, the, and monsters are very much about earth. They're about all the elements, but uh, first and foremost, they're of the earth for sure. Right, right. So the drawing of the monster is key, isn't it, in your work? That's how it, be, is that how it begins by the way? Yeah, yeah, it's how I welcome them into the space. I invite them to imagine they drunk a magic potion and turned into a monster and to not worry too much about how much it looks like that when they start to draw. And most kids haven't really been able to imagine, but the drawing proceeds anyways. And, um, and we revisit periodically, either at their request or mine. So sometimes after I've seen them for a few months, I have a, a little gallery of their monsters. And, and I don't place too much emphasis on what it looks like that moment, because I know that if I had them draw a monster 10 minutes later, it would look different. Right. But I don't, and I don't pathologize the monster at all. Never, never, never do I see what's wrong with it. Knowing that it could change very quickly. And I would be stuck back there pathologizing the monster that was no longer even relevant, if that makes sense. So It, it does, it makes complete sense. And I think that's such an important point for people who um, are perhaps new to this kind of work, but interested in it um, to understand that it's absolutely not about doing that. Because I think that's a bit of a rabbit hole, isn't it? You can get really trapped if you do that. Yeah, and the child will sense you're doing that. Right. Um, that creates an obstacle. I mean, I notice what how the monster feels. So if it's very rigid, but it, you know, and I notice how the child seems to move, but not by judging, but seeing how we might change that. The monster changes immediately. So yeah, sometimes yeah. based on what we've done in that session. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of, I just get the feeling of fluidity when you talk about that. And that yeah. comes from the movement, doesn't it? And the, and the, the, the using of the, the use of the body to do, part of the work for us especially latency age and younger are so physical even when they're sitting by the sandbox it's a very visceral physical experience for them but i know use keep sandbox so they really are kind of reaching into the sand with both hands so so everything they do is uh, is physical and affects affects their physiology which is the the per, uh, virtue of it you know that metabolism is affected um, yeah. neurology is affected by play yeah it is so you know, the whole child is engaged in it. I think as adults, we need to remember that as well. But if if the child isn't able to do that, I think there is that sense of they're very tight, they're very restricted. Um, you know, I can feel myself getting. You know, you want to just move to to, to release that that feeling and that and that tension. Um, so I think that's sometimes what maybe scares people who are not therapists to do this kind of work. They think, well, how will I know if it's right? How will I analyze, you know, this piece of work when actually you don't need to do that in order for it to be effective? I mean, I, you know, I often am, I often very surprised at how effective it is, even though I, I know on some level that it, it is very effective, but it's always a shock when I, when a child literally walks in, in one state of being and exits in another and, and that it lasts. And I, 
I, I say I believe that that's capable, and I'm always surprised. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, t- I can totally relate to that. And it's it's not something you can anticipate at all or right. uh, prescribe right. an outcome for. You just know that it is going to, there's going to be some transformation, but you don't know what it is. And the thing is that it hasn't happened because the child and I have talked about the problem. Right, right. In fact, we sometimes haven't talked at all. We've yeah. just played, you know. And I have a problem with a lot of therapists that I supervise can't quite accept that they don't have to talk about the problem. Yeah. Well, the child doesn't have to talk to them about the problem in order for the problem to be solved. It's a, it's a hard thing for many adults mm, mm. to accept that, that they don't have to be a part of that understanding process, that it can be understood by the child organically and intuitively, which is the most important thing. Absolutely. I think that we should just put that on a poster, put that on billboards, on T-shirts, because that is absolutely it. You know, that the it's the child that goes through that process of understanding and they know when they've got to that place. And they they transmit that to us. They tell us that that's what they've they've understood. Um, But as you say, we don't need to know all the steps and to have the talking bit that goes with that all the time. I mean, it, help, it helps to some extent if we can, if we go into this as a profession to have some understanding eventually, perhaps mm. why things changed simply because it may help us um, going further with that. But even at the, but at the time of it, we don't have to know why. It can be a complete surprise and a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe ultimately it is anyways, even though when I say I understand it, it's still a mystery and a surprise. That, that playing something as as basic as playing could in fact solve sometimes very seemingly insurmountable problems. Yeah. Um, and this is this is something that can be used effectively in schools, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I supervise people. I have this amazing play space, but I supervise people that push a little card into a room or sometimes have to do play therapy with 20 other kids around them. And they're attempting to create and, and actually succeed in creating a, a container within that chaos uh, with the child. So it can be used in almost any setting. My first, one of the first spaces I worked in was a, was a, a broom closet in a yeah. school that actually had a lot of rooms and, and vacuum cleaners in it. But somehow the child and I managed in that weird cave to, to connect and do some interesting work. Not a nice space, but it worked. Um, mine was a uniform closet. and it was um it was a tiny tiny room and it it literally had shelves full of plastic containers with uniforms in that I used to have to move out and stack up in the corner to get all the miniatures and the kit in the room but as you say it 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 didn't stay that way the child didn't feel like they were in a uniform cupboard they were in this you know amazing that they could they could access yours had windows or, or it was a cave like also no windows. Well, there is something about the cave is one of the most powerful images kids use. Yeah, so yeah. at the time I didn't realize we were in a cave, but we were in a cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theater, but. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, so you talk about the uh, the containers, you know, the container of the, the sand tray, the container of the room, that that, the cave, that those all provide this safety and this containment for the child to actually do the work which you know is so important isn't it and I think I think it helps for the therapist to actually see themselves as as a container that one of the jobs is to contain the intensity of the experience 
um, so that the child doesn't hurt me or themselves. And I've almost never had ch children even attempt to. I think that um, because they have so many more satisfying ways of expressing themselves, you know, there's so many things they can do with aggressive or destructive energy besides hurt themselves and myself. So, but I'm, but yeah, the be containing the experience is very important and having the room as a container, the sandbox when kids use it, which most kids do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see this a lot, the, um, the lack of containment, you know, the yeah. sense that the child doesn't feel contained for whatever reason, um, but it is, it is a growing problem actually, yes, to find that sense of containment. Um, yeah. And I think for adults maybe as well, you know, so I'm hoping that this training you're going to do for us is going to help um, adults as well to be able as being able to help the children i think it's primarily you know going to also help them to understand how they can use this work for themselves i think it will because i mean i have my practices with adult my right now my age range is three to 90 of patients right and and, uh, and, and you know the to, even though i don't do play therapy with people that are in their 50s or 60s or 70s, but but still the, the relevance of, of play really affects them. We we are in still playing. We may be playing with their dreams or their movements. Um, but it but because it I'm using the same non-pathologizing approach and with the idea that things can change sometimes very quickly. And dreams are all about that. Dreams offer this almost nightly, sometimes several times a night, opportunity to encounter a part of ourselves that's trying to to reach us, you know. Right, from the, the subconscious cave, it's talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can, we can, we can play, play with that. So just tell me about um, what you're looking forward to about the training and what do you hope will be in that maybe? Give us a little preview of what that's going to be about. Well, I mean, the reason I decided to call it Why Monsters is because, again, that has been, it's taken me a long time to be able to answer that question. Um, Unfortunately, it was not asked very often, why monsters, um, until I was able to understand it. I still don't get asked why monsters by very few people, sometimes therapists at trainings. But so I, I like the question. I like the idea of having to look back. And, and because for me, it really was the monster and the work was informed by dreams, much more than by anything I studied in graduate school. Um, that, that helped to some extent, but I learned more from being with children and watching them move and play and seeing what made sense and didn't make sense and my own dreams, which really kind of, like I said, formed me. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we started out by talking about children really do know the yeah. answers to their own questions. They do. Um, yeah. You know, it, they just need that space and safety and relationship to be able to um, express them in, in right. whatever whatever form, but they do. I think I, they do know. Right. So I was going to show a, a PowerPoint of children's monsters in the, in the training, um, with just a tiny bit of anecdote about each, because it, it's quite remarkable how different they were from each other. Mm. They yeah. moved the child forward in their life, even though I didn't know what, at the time why that was so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about um, doing this uh, with you. And I can tell already that there's, it, it's, it's a sort of participation of, of, of being willing to get involved in, in your own mess in a way, I suppose. 
uh, isn't it? And, and to really yeah. trust, trust that the process is there. One of the things I always urge new therapists to, to think about is, I always say that the most important thing is to be able to tolerate the awkwardness of the process. I always, despite 45 years of, of many successes, I still always feel like great awkwardness when the child comes in. So if they say to me, they're feeling awkward, I say me too, and it's honest. And I, I think I would worry if I didn't feel that because yeah. I don't know who this child is. I don't know how we will connect, even though I've had great success. And I think that actually is, is important to have that sense of not knowing what will happen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, I think we're in real trouble when we think we know the answers before. Therapists worried when I say you must, that's the most important thing is to be able to tolerate awkwardness. They don't want to hear that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no they don't. They want you to tell them they, that you know that the solutions right off the bat. And, and Maybe, maybe that's why they rely on, just want to rely on words so much is they yeah. feel that they'll know where they are a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, words are important. They come back. We come back to words to being able to frame, you know, maybe what's happened in some way so that adults can understand it. But but it's not the way in, I don't think, for children. No. Good. Well, thank you for sharing uh, with me this evening some, some just a little bit of what's to come. And uh, I'll look forward to more of that in the in the training. Good. So I'll see you in April. See you in April. Thank you so much.